Welcome to the Vagabond Way podcast. The journey goes ever on with the long road. This episode, dreams are only the plans of the reasonable. Season four of the Vagabond Way podcast kicks off with the launch of the long road's latest single, Western Requiem. In these continuing turbulent times, Steve Bonham reflects on who we are rather than who we appear to be. Kev Moore takes us on the next stage of his Camino Trek journal. And the Bish, that's me, I introduce you to my secret Christmas project of homemade chocolate bonbons. The Vagabond Way podcast featuring The Long Road is exploring the world of the troubadour, the adventurer, the vagabond. The world isn't beige, it isn't processed, it's authentic, it's rich and it's real. If those are the sorts of sentiments that make your brain light up, then hop on board. We are embracing all of those things, we're celebrating all of that, and we'd love it if you joined us on the journey. Greetings, I am Chris the Bish Leiden. Happy New Year to all our listeners all around the world. Well, 2020 was certainly a year, and 2021 is certainly starting off a certain way in various parts of the world. Today sees the start of Season 4 of the Vagabond Way podcast, and we shall endeavour to bring you our usual mix of silly and serious, thought-provoking and thoughtful throughout the year. This is Episode 49, uh, and for fact fans out there, we enter our 28th hour of podcasting with this episode. Uh, the plan is to keep going with the podcast for a bit perhaps have the odd week off here and there and we'll just see how things unfold in the weeks and months to come it's quite hard to forward plan much right now really isn't it um the winds seem to blow one way then change and then change again all any of us can do is you know do what we can today's show coincides how about that with the launch of our next single this song is called western requiem and it's out today it's on bandcamp Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, all the usual places. I have terrible trouble calling it Western Requiem. Quite often want to say Rest and Requiem. It's not quite right. Um, if you're keen on supporting a good part of a fairer, more sustainable music industry, please consider visiting our Bandcamp page, thevagabondway.bandcamp.com, uh, and you can stream the music here for free to hear the song. And if you like it, please consider purchasing. Obviously, all our other stuff is there as well, including some physical merch. Uh, now, the eagle-eared amongst you, do do eagles have good ears? It's their eyes that are normally good, aren't they? Who has good ears? Bats? Owls? I'll do a quick Google. Oh, moths. Moths have the best hearing, apparently. Anyway, for the moth-eared amongst you, you might recognise this song, Western Requiem, from back in August, when it was first presented to anyone, anywhere, on this podcast, from Steve Bonham, who wrote it. Episode 33 on the 28th of August, 2020, if you're a fat fan. Um, in that episode, Steve Bonham talks about the origins of the song, his love of old-school Western films, the love of that world, uh, and its sort of liminal nature on the borderlands, old but not so old as to be ancient and out of touch. You know, you can still drink in the bars that those old Western characters drank in. The idea of good and evil, the outlaw, the renegade, the world full of characters on the frontier. I guess it all kind of fits into the, the sort of vagabond idea on the edges of things. Anyway, if you want to go back and hear what Steve said about the new song back in August... Uh, it's episode 33, starts at around minute 19. Um, you also get to hear the demo version. You could even do a sort of compare and contrast, if you were so inclined, from Steve's original 12-string-only demo to the full band version that we are releasing today. So, uh, I'm going to play you Western Requiem, our new single, in a few minutes. But before that, some very fresh thoughts from Steve, reflecting on events unfolding before us this week. Uh, so I'm going to hand over to Steve. <laughs>
commentary about the podcast this morning. It's the night after I watched the attacks on the Capitol in America. and I don't feel that a jolly piece would necessarily come straight to my mind. I actually watched the, uh, the events unfolding till the early hours of the morning. Fell asleep watching it in the end. And it, it did make me very sad. And sitting here in this lockdown world, it sometimes seems to me on bad days that everything I've ever believed in and sometimes even fought for in my life is, is sort of getting trashed around me. But hey, that's no way to keep on keeping on. And I, I really should be ashamed of myself. Because you know what I've learned Is in the end, the world does belong to practical dreamers. In fact, one of my favourite places in the world is, is a Kasbar up in the Atlas Mountains to Cal. And on the entrance, someone has carved, dreams are only the plans of the reasonable. One of my favourite writers, Ben Ockrey, writing way back about the election of Obama um, for the second term, when it wasn't so sure he would win, wrote, God knows humankind needs such dreamers to remind ourselves that we are not who we appear to be, but what we believe deep in our hearts we can be, and that we like people who set out on impossible journeys. They awaken the sense of greatness we appear to have forgotten in these dismal times. Some people like Obama dream big. On my good days, at my very best, I dream small. But still I dream, and life goes on. And for me, music is my dreaming, as it is for Chris and Kev. We have to believe in it. We have to pursue it with the hand, heart and soul of an artisan. What we do can appear crazy, pointless. There is no money in it. In fact, the opposite. You are bombarded every day with deluge of people offering to take money off you in pursuit of your dream. Scoundrels and crooks, a lot of them. The big institutions, BBC, and the record companies don't want to know what you're doing. Spotify makes sure everyone makes a little bit of money, but you. But still you keep dreaming. Because you can't do anything else. Because that's who you are. And then I look at the American Wilderness Odyssey, which you are just completing. And it was, in one sense, such an impossible dream. 15 songs, no funding, no route map or compass, just a practical dream. And here we are. We've done it. We've completed it. Who knows what will be the result? But we have taken that journey, Chris, Kevin and I. And in that final track that we recorded, Western Requiem. I think we've left a remembrance of a dream, a belief in something fine, a little bit of hope.
So there you go, Western Requiem from Steve Bonham and The Long Road. It's out today, available on Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your music from. Uh, the outro there, I think Steve and I had both envisaged this sort of finish to the song, you know, a flowy, spaced out sort of piano thing. Uh, you know, the sun setting, the heroes striding off towards the horizon. The adventure for that week done, off to seek the next adventure perhaps. Um, for us, this song does feel like the rounding off of the American Wilderness Project. Uh, in fact, in a few weeks, we're releasing our American Wilderness Odyssey album, which will include all 15 songs from our four EPs. American Wilderness itself from late 2019, uh, Moonshine Elegy from spring 2020, Out of the Darkness from autumn 2020, uh, and Looking for Gold, which is coming out on the same day to complete the quadrilogy. Um so that outro there, you can imagine the three of us, me, Steve and Kev Moore, walking off into the sunset, a job done. Um, I do love the realism in this recording. You can hear the piano pedals moving. You can hear the breaths. You can hear the guitar squeaks and the hand movements of people playing the instruments. It feels very human to me, uh, and hopefully it connects with people because of it. Uh, um, for me, personally, one of the most delicious things to record on this song was... Now, I do love playing the piano on it. It, it works so well for the piano. Um, what to be honest, the whole song, I think it's, it's quintessential long road in 2020 slash 2021. Um, it's absolutely where we were, where we are. Uh, doesn't mean to say that we'll always be uh, here like this. Later in 2021, uh, it will, the sound will have evolved again. But this feels very much us now. Uh, anyway, back to my initial thought. One of the most delicious things I got to record on this was the Hammond organ. Um, now, we did all the Hammond parts for a bunch of songs in one epic morning. Uh, now, for various reasons, once you've got the damn thing set up, it's easier to keep it all set up and just battle on through with all the bits you need. Now, uh, I didn't actually know exactly what sort of part would come for this song. Um, I hadn't figured on playing on the very opening at all. You know, that prominent guitar part from Steve with that very long Rhodian riff, uh, you know, nice, simple kick drum keeping the, the beat going. I didn't think it needed anything more. But the the very first take, I just thought, oh, sod it, I'll try something. We can always take it out or do it again. Um, and I just played this very simple single note line um, and just the sound of the hammer, it spoke to me straight away on this song. And I think to the chaps as well, uh, it, it needed this such a simple thing, really. Uh, a descending line of long-held single notes, but it adds well, it adds something magical to the sound world, I think, anyway. Um, for the geeks out there, listen to the sound of the Hammond on those long notes. You'll notice the sound sort of starts off straight, unwavering, but often by the end of each note you get the vibrato edging in, building in intensity. This has to be one of the greatest things I love about this instrument. One held note can change in character and bring drama to a moment simply by going from you know non-vibrato to vibrato. Perhaps it's just me, but I bet that plays into the unconscious things we hear in music. Changes in intensity rather than changes in pitch or rhythm. I love subtle nuances like that. The, uh, the texture of music, like the texture in painting or in sculpture, it's integral. You may not consciously see things or notice things but it's there it's vital you'll have spotted this week we didn't have a, a three-way chat between steve kevmore and me as we normally would um 
Christmas scheduling and forward planning got the better of us this time, but we'll get back on that, I promise. Um, so this leaves us a few extra minutes this episode, so I was wondering what to play in its stead. Um, I've decided upon a, a favourite of mine, one that we quite often open our live gigs with, actually. This song is called No Particular Blues. Um, definite Western twangs in this one, too. Now, this one was recorded back in 2018, and it's one of those older songs that we feel has this same DNA as our stuff now. You can hear the crossovers, you can feel the synergy between this older, older song and our new stuff. So, just because we like it and we'd like to share it with you, here is No Particular Blues from Steve Bonham and The Long Road. Ain't no particular place I'm walking to Just looking for adventures, honey Let's start with you It's indisputable A sign of the times It's irrefutable Across the line Ain't no particular place I'm walking to Ain't no particular home I'm falling down I'm sinking the old boat, honey I'm letting it drown It's pathological We're touching the skies Phantasmagorical We're gonna fly other, leave the past to the door, within, without, let's even the score, within, without, let's even the score. Confusion, babe Who's on whose side? Out on the turnpike They're checking the cars Looking for outlaws They sound bizarre Lawyers and statesmen They're taking a ride Wherever we go Wherever we sleep Whatever we find Let's believe in each other Leave the path to the door Within, without, let's even the score Within, without, let's even the score Ain't no particular day I'm gonna die Don't feel worried, babe There's no need to cry That old grim reaper Dancing on ice He ain't my keeper Not gonna think twice Ain't no particular day I'm gonna die
welcome to Kev's Cafe Corner once more. You join me again on my Camino to Santiago de Compostela. Today is Wednesday, October the 7th, and I'm in Larnes. I awoke to the news of Eddie Van Halen's death, a game-changer in rock and roll for sure, and also that of Jimmy Cliff. Very sad that we're losing all our legends these days. A quick check of where I would try to stay next convinced me to chill in Larnes for the day and take on the 27 kilometre trek tomorrow. I had a much needed shower and put some pain killing gel on my shoulder. I hope this all stands me in good stead. I plan to set off early but for now a nice town to enjoy. I wandered around looking at all the buildings medieval and modern comfortably juxtaposed and indulged myself in one of the cafes where I had chocolate and churros, one of those fantastic Spanish treats that are a nice thing to enjoy when you're uh, when you feel like you need to treat yourself and very nice it was too. Thursday October the 8th, a long and lovely trek out of Larnes feeling refreshed. I was struck by the sheer number of incredibly huge houses, mostly old but some of them newer, that have been completely abandoned and allowed to fall into dereliction. Perhaps the merchants of Larnes fell upon hard times, as it's surely those who built them. An ostentatious display of wealth and perhaps a folly of overreaching. In any event, they are magnificent buildings. Some wonderful pathways through forests again, and of course the cows for company. The sound I will most remember from this trip is the gentle tinkling of the cowbells in the distant pastures. Thinking myself very clever, I did some road walking to follow a more direct route to the next town. This proved unfortunate when I found myself on a busy motorway. There was a path, but it remained tantalisingly out of reach across brambles and a large wire fence. I hung my rucksack on a fence post on the other side, with difficulty, and leapt gazelle-like after it, just missing the brambles and succeeding in avoiding impaling myself on the wire fence. Okay, perhaps an arthritic gazelle on Sanatogen. It did feel like a small triumph, though. The scenery, once more, did not disappoint, and I found myself walking past a derelict church or monastery. It had many outbuildings, and I wondered at the thousands of pilgrims that in days of old stopped there for food and shelter. It seemed so sad that their ghosts were now troubled by the winds that blew through the open rafters. A little further on, the melancholy mood lifted as the Atlantic worked its magic again. A beautiful beach and gnarly waves brought the surfers out in force. Pitting themselves against the elements, I watched them for a while. Some of the animals I've seen so far have been delightful, and none more so than the tiny little pig, probably a Vietnamese potbelly, I'm not sure, that I saw further down the road. A few kilometres further on, and I started seeing Herreros, the grain storehouses so prevalent in Galicia. I'd read they had some Anastorias too. Very distinctive in style, with strange table-like feet to prevent rats from getting to the grain. I stopped in a small village with the hope of purchasing a reasonable lunch, but the menu was too fancy and the price is excessive. Unusual for here. I did, however, see a stone bench and a water point, so I set up to cook my own carbonara by the roadside. Delicious. There's something rewarding about sitting in the middle of a little village using their own ancient 
font to uh, get your water and set your stove up and just sit by the road having a meal. It's very freeing. <laughs> Beautiful scenery was my faithful companion, along with fine weather. It was a good day for walking. Then I saw it. I had to look twice. A huge wall of individually painted stone left by pilgrims, brightly coloured, some religious, some not, but all heartfelt and beautiful. Someone had named it Le Camino de, de la Estrella, the way of the stars, and indeed it was. On the opposite wall was what looked for all the world like a cave painting of two pilgrims hiking, absolutely beautiful. Then later that day came my encounter with the dog, the dog that stole my heart. Every dog I'd encountered on this trip had barked itself stupid at me. Not this dog. This dog waited patiently for me to walk nearer. He was in a kind of compound. He looked a bit like a sheepdog. He didn't make a sound but put his head down to the bottom of the fence in a peculiar movement. I walked on and he followed me along the edge of his fence and got down on the ground again. He wanted me to pet him. I swear, the look he gave me went to my soul. I reached in as best I could and scratched and tickled his head. When I stopped and made to leave, he, he gave me such a look and put his paw out gently to keep me there. I stayed a while with my friend, for that is what he was. And at last, I walked away, upset at leaving him. I imagined him as my faithful travelling companion, side by side. I will never forget him, nor the calm he instilled in me. season fades into the distance for this week's bishop's daily bread uh, i look back on my secret now revealed christmas project now if i thought the world of baking was tricksy and occasionally required some precision and quite frankly some good luck little did i know the world i was entering into back in december would be even more so so rather than buying yet more stuff with a capital s uh, as presents for for people this christmas i decided i'd have a go at making chocolates Originally, I was calling this, in my head, Project Bonbon, um, but I suspect a chocolate bonbon is perhaps a very specific thing. A chocolate shell with, I think, a liquid centre, whereas I was aiming to make a variety of chocolate shells with different ganache fillings on the whole. Um, whether these are actually bonbons or not, I've no idea. Um, I figured out early on I needed some new supplies. The, the moulds for the chocolates, uh, I found a couple of polycarbonate ones that would do nicely. Sounds fancy, eh? Polycarbonate. I strongly suspect it just means plastic, though. I also figured if I was going to do different flavoured chocos, um, I'd need to be able to visually distinguish them beyond the two shapes of chocolate mould I'd got hold of. One a sort of swirl the other uh, geometric sort of shape hexagons triangles and stuff so i investigated some chocolate coloring powder and some sprays as well next the actual chocolate i decided i'd do a little test batch first 
this would have been back in early December, um, just to see how much of a quagmire I'd waded myself into here. Um, I bought a few varieties of chocolate, some dark, some milk, some white, uh, and some flavourings too, although I wasn't sure that the sort of artificial flavourings was going to be the way to go. Uh, but I gave it a bash. Now, have you ever tempered chocolate? Nor had I. Um, but there are several schools of thought on it, it seems. Some claiming utter, utter precision is required, or else the walls of success will come crumbling down around you. Others give you a little bit more leeway, uh, but are still fairly precise. Others are a bit more, meh, close enough will do, it's not brain surgery, you'll be fine. I hovered somewhere in the middle, occasionally veering towards the, this definitely isn't brain surgery, um, when the need arose. So, tempering chocolate, essentially the same for dark milk and white, uh, I'd read. You melt it to a certain temperature, temperature gun at the ready, uh, and then cool it down to another temperature, and hey, you've tempered chocolate. Others in that first group, the real doom-mongers, would, I think, claim there should be another very slight raising of temperature at the end, uh, but I never bothered with that. Um, many claimed you should be precise with your temperatures. But in all honesty, I just don't think it's possible. When you've got a you know a pool of chocolate there melted, there is no way, no way, that it's all going to be at precisely 45 degrees Celsius. I think that was the, the first melting temperature for milk and white. I think it was 48 for, for dark, if I recall correctly. But anyway, I tried my best. Um, then the sort of middle ground method was to dump about 50% of the amount of chocolate into that melted chocolate again uh, and stir it to bring it down in temperature. Um, and I think the next temperature is 32 degrees you've got to hit. Um, so I, I managed all that. Um, then it was into the moulds. Ultimately, I found a, a good technique of sort of angle spreading, knocking, refilling that worked pretty consistently with the different chocks. But this first test batch, it was fairly messy uh, and unsure. Uh, but I got the moulds filled uh, and emptied, leaving the shell of the chocolate. Then leave these to rest slash firm up. Initial testing, I did this in the fridge, but later I kept this step out of the fridge. In the meantime, I made a simple chocolate ganache, equal weight of chocolate and double cream. Heat the double cream up, I do it in the microwave, uh, and then pour it over the chocolate, uh, which must be in small, even chunks. Um, leave it for a few minutes and then slowly stir it to combine. Um, I split this ganache into two. I had two types of moulds to fill, so I figured I'd do half just the plain sort of dark chocolate ganache and half flavoured dark chocolate ganache. Now, I'm deliberately not saying which flavour I used. It was out of a bottle, uh, and not unreasonably so, but I had hoped it was going to be delicious, but was, in fact, at best fine. If not, in fact, a little bit disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so I've just had to recover myself. Um, so I, I think I think my shame is overriding things in this respect, uh, and I'm going to leave it nameless. It was no by no means a triumph, um, uh, and I really felt it should have been. I'm just going to have to leave it at that. <laughs> anyway, ganache prepared, two sorts of ganache prepared, shells prepped. Um, now, how to fill? Luckily, over lockdown last year, I'd bought myself a very silly tool for the kitchen, a little sort of icing injector, or any substance injector, really, uh, but intended for cupcakes and the like. Um, I had used it to fill my donuts earlier in the year. I think episode 30 of the podcast covered donuts. Um, so I loaded this, you know, injector up with the ganache, and you only need a few milliliters of the filling for each chocolate. They're, they're fairly dainty, the perfect size for just popping in your mouth. Um, anyway, filled them up, uh, knocked them to settle the filling a little bit, then 
a layer of newly tempered chocolate for the bases on, on the bottom. Um, this stage was trickier, but I got there. More messy, harder to achieve, um, but got there. Then into the fridge to set overnight, actually. The next morning, I was literally so excited to get the moulds out and see how my first batch of handmade chocolates had turned out. Uh, so I grabbed the first tray, turned it over onto my kitchen surface, wasn't exactly sure what to expect. Would they pop right out or would it need some coaxing? Um, anyway, turned it over, one tap with a wooden spoon, lifted it up, and hey presto, 21 delicious-looking geometric chocolates were gleaming up at me. Uh, I was absolutely delighted. They looked great. Shiny, uh, as tempered chocolate should. Um, you know, precise edges and shapes. Uh, to be fair, the bottoms were a bit scrappy, but I, I didn't really count that. I decided, presentation side up, these looked pretty delish. Um, I almost immediately popped one in my mouth to taste it. It was great. You know, crisp, crunchy outside, soft, dark chalk inside. Perhaps a little bit odd being straight from the fridge, being that cold, but still delish. Um, a triumphant first tray. Now, on to that second tray. Perhaps you can see where this might be going. Second tray, less successful. Uh, I turned it over, a tap, nothing. A second tap, nothing. You know, taps, three to six, mm, still nothing. After a bit of banging and swearing, forgive me, neighbours, uh, I managed to get a, a few of these chocks out, but they, they mostly weren't budging. So I started to Google how to remove chocolates from polycarbonate mould. Uh, of course, nothing in particular came up to help. You know, what were people on the internet asking for help on this topic? If it weren't those words, I don't know. Anyway, I did spot that somebody said, make sure the chocolates are really cold when you try to turn them out. So I, I actually put that tray in the freezer for 10 minutes. And people are always warning off freezer stuff in case of blooming on the chocolate week and that sort of white, sort of pale colour to the chocolate. Anyway, I thought I'd risk it for, you know, for this test batch. Put them in the freezer for 10 minutes hey presto, another 10 or 12 of these chocolates came popping right out. That still left five or six firmly wedged in. Uh, in the end, these became sacrifices on the altar of Chris learning how to work with chocolate. Um, just had to smash them, in, smash them up and get them out with my fingers, really. Um, I'm still not entirely sure why those ones didn't work. Perhaps the shells were too thin in places? I, I don't know. And Anyway, I'd learned plenty from this initial stage, though. The, the filling, draining of the initial mould, temperatures, scraping methods, tools to have at hand, rather than having to root around for these things when your hands are now dripping in chocolate. Um, so, initial tests complete, lessons learned. I ordered a few kilograms of chocolate, um, some white, some milk, some dark. Wasn't really sure how much I'd need in total. Um, I already had some of the most of the decoration bits and bobs. Uh, off to the internet to do some research and decide upon my flavours. Um, part two of Project Chocolat next week. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening, wherever in the world you are. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts. The next episode will be out next Friday. Join us on YouTube for the Transatlantic Connection show and become part of the Transatlantic Connection movement. Head to youtube.com slash the Vagabond Way. Find The Vagabond Way or Steve Bonham on the Long Road on Facebook. All of our music is on Bandcamp, where you can help support a positive ecosystem for the music industry. Download, streaming, vinyl, CD, it's all there. TheVagabondWay.Bandcamp.com 
We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash thevagabondway. Big thank you to our Patreons and a special shout-out to Orla Flynn, James Lydon, Stuart Lydon, Yvette Lydon, and Trish Taylor. Thank you for your ongoing support. Patreon is a great platform that makes it super easy for anyone out there, you, to support content that you love on a monthly basis. It gives you direct access to the people creating the stuff you love, us, hopefully, and you get to play an integral part in shaping the direction of things that we make. So become a Vagabonder. That's our name for our supporters on Patreon to help us create music, live performances, books and short stories, this weekly podcast, our YouTube show, and some new things we're cooking up. As a Vagabonder, you can get the recordings and books we make for free, receive exclusive Patreon-only merchandise in the post, get regular behind-the-scenes updates from us, unlock access to exclusive livestream performances and Q&As, and lots more. You can help us create something different, something that entertains, and something that inspires others. So, join us on the journey and release The Vagabond Within, patreon.com slash thevagabondway. Thank you once again, brave adventurers, vagabonds, and explorers, for joining us on The Vagabond Way. Remember, the world isn't beige, it's authentic, it's rich, and it's real. Embrace every last bit of it. Until next time, the journey goes ever on with The Long Road. Bye for now. (laughs) 